Hey, welcome back to Dave's Disney View. Last time, we were doing the ride through of Horizons, and it went on a little longer than I had hoped it would. Well, in a way, that's a good thing. I'm kind of glad it went on a little longer, but it went on longer than I hoped. So this week, I'd like to continue the ride through of Horizons, and I'd like for you to continue to ride through with me. Now, if you missed the second part, uh, please go back and listen to it in the archive. It's really kind of interesting as I get into this point where we're going to pick it up here. Swatting into the water which is kind of funny, you know, kind of telling that it's just not an obvious little gimmick that was there. So just before you see the oranges, you'll, you'll see that come into view. And as you turn the corner, you see this forced perspective area where there's like these rows and rows of these orange trees, and there's these automated machines that are uh, starting to uh, harvest the crops. And so here you are in the desert picking up these, uh, these, harvested, these harvested crops and, and uh, taking them in. In the storyline, it's supposed to be the grandparent's daughter who is doing the who's doing the irrigation. She's running the machines. So she's at a platform right in front of you, and she's looking out over all the machines. She's overseeing all the machines that are bringing in everything. And right next to her on the platform is her a vehicle that she's gonna that she can ride home in. When she's done, she's gonna pack up and get in that vehicle and ride away. And it looks like it's ready to go. So that makes it kind of neat because it's you know it's just right there and it's ready. So you get the sense of, you know, purpose and things are happening. And of course, they give you the, the sense, they tell you the story that, oh, there's a storm warning and the, the robots are sensitive to it. So that makes it a little bit more interesting because now it's a little more personal. You know, they're trying to finish up and they're trying to get out before it starts raining. It could be a big storm for all you know. Next, you move on to her house. So now you're looking back into her house, and she's still at work, but the father is there in the kitchen, and he's doing something, and he's getting something ready. And you just get a quick view of the kitchen and what's, what it looks like and what's going on in there. Not too exciting, but at least you get a sense of what's happening. And the vista moves over, and you're looking into a living room. And on the living room screen is a, is a man who's doing a, some repairs on a sub. And you see the kind of the audio-animatronic silhouette of a girl that's sitting there and talking to him. And you're hearing their conversation going back and forth. And at this point, it's, it's just an innocuous conversation, but it makes more sense in the context when you move on just a little bit further. And again, you see the, the way they set up the scene. You can see everything. You can kind of see right through, right through the hallway into, the, into their house. So as you move on to the next scene, now you're moving into the ocean. So you're going to move into the undersea portion of the ride. So now you see the audio, audio animatronic of a man fixing a sub, and on the wall above him is the girl you saw in the last room who's having the same conversation, but it's the other end of the video that you just saw. So now you get a sense of what the whole conversation is that's going on. And I've heard a lot of people talk about the redhead that's in that video. I don't know who she is. I, I had heard at one point she was a cast member. 
who they had just asked to do this part because they needed somebody to do it. She had the right look. She was cute. But since then, I've heard a lot of people saying, you know, it's just, she's just, there's something about her that's really striking and somewhat engaging. And I can remember going through the ride and thinking, wow, she's, you know, she's really pretty good looking. So kind of funny how that still plays over time. I was just watching it and I, I thought, wow, you know, she's, she's still, she's still kind of cute. And I always wondered who she was. Okay, class, turn around. Now we're almost ready to go, but before we do, let's review our diving rules one more time. So as you move just a little bit further on, he's at the upper level of this next vignette, and he's working on his sub. And you move a little bit further and kind of looking down a little bit, there's a group of school kids who are getting ready to go out and uh, go out in the ocean and, and do some diving. So they're having a conversation, and there's a sea, a sea lion in the room with them. Here's another point where you learn something and you don't realize it. You're, you're listening to them talking about scuba preparations, and the things they're doing are true scuba preparations. They're things that you get ready for when you, when you go to dive. One interesting side note, the children that you see in this scene are actually audio-animatronic representation of Imagineer's children. So they did a really clever job of kind of suiting up a couple of the children and making, making casts of them so they would have uh, images of the children. For a long time, the, uh, the images of these guys' children lived on through the attraction, and I understand that the audio-animatronics are still somewhere in the parks. I don't know where they've been deployed to at this point. Come on, into like a, an undersea bubble. It's like one of these undersea restaurants. You see some people dining in there. Then you see a little girl interacting with a sea lion under the water in the next bubble. And then there's, there's someone else working and you see all of that. And it's kind of a neat view of the undersea life and what it looks like from the outside looking in instead of from the inside looking out. And it's kind of a, kind of a clever thing that they did in terms of how they put it together. Something that I always thought of when I, went, when I passed by here I always thought I was on the other side of the Coral Reef restaurant. I know I wasn't, but I always got that feeling like I was. So now I'm on the, out, on the, on the tank side of the Coral Reef restaurant, going along instead of being on the inside, looking into the tank from the Coral Reef restaurant. I just always had that feeling. I know that's not what it was, but there was just something about the, the way it captured my imagination as you went through. And now you're undersea and you're looking at things. There's an octopus who's moving his head and he's sitting on top of a rock and he's kind of looking at all the ride vehicles going past. Next you come up to a movie and there's a large screen here where they've got sort of an undersea exhibit and you're looking out into the distance of the ocean and there's some pods that come down into the water and swimming across the screen is that school, the school group that you just saw. So you kind of get a sense of them coming across and swimming in here and it has some depth to it. And then they brought in some animatronic figures there's something that looks like a crab that's doing some mining there on the ocean floor. And you've got the reflections of the ocean coming down, so it almost looks like there's light coming through the water that, that you're seeing down on the, on, the, on the ocean floor there. And it really does, for the most part, feel like you're underwater.
always been something sort of mysterious about our oceans. We knew they were filled with valuable gifts for us. Yeah, water and seaweed. Very funny. But seawater has become an excellent source of energy, as well as being valuable for desert irrigation. And kelp. Seaweed. Kelp is a tremendous source of low-cost fuel. Oh, we found lots of good things under our oceans. And don't forget space. We found lots of good things out there, too. And you finish up as you turn the corner again, and now you're in space. The music changes, and suddenly you're looking up into a star field. And there's a series of different things going on here. Again, they projected an image up on the wall of the space station that's kind of evocative of the 2001 Space Odyssey space station. And they did the right thing by having it rotate. And why it's important to have it rotate is because that's the way you create artificial gravity in space. So they have it rotating, and it's actually a very subtle rotation that it's doing. And I think that's kind of neat because it shows that they really thought it through and went through the meticulous detail. Then in the foreground closer to you, they have some actual models that are hanging there. So there's a person that's hanging onto a piece of a space station or something that's building it and working on it. And there's some light movement and a little bit of uh, flashing lights that make you think he's actually doing some work on it. And it's kind of clever because as you move past it, you get the sense that it's growing. And here in space, it's, everything's just growing along as you, as you go. So you get that feeling, and it's kind of neat. It's very clever. So now you're in the third phase of the attraction, Brahma Centauri. And you, then you move on to a little vignette. Uh, there's a space pod that's ready to launch. Maybe somebody's ready to go back to somewhere. Looks like it's all ready. It's sitting there, and it's waiting. Then you move on, and, and you're looking in, into a cityscape that's sort of a space cityscape. It's, you're looking down almost at, at something that's rotating, and you're seeing all these pieces that look somewhat familiar. There's like a field and there's some buildings and some different things. But it's rotating and you get the sense of you're looking out into something that's a, a space station. Then you move along and you see some people doing exercise in, in zero gravity. You have a person riding a stationary bicycle, but they're upside down from your perspective. And there's some interesting diagnostic equipment that's not being used, but looks like it could be kind of neat. ports of the space station where you're docking up with a ship and so there's the mother and the father and a boy and a dog and they're all there and they're, they're coming through the spaceport and the boy has lost one shoe so there's a shoe floating along and he's having this conversation with his mom and the dog's barking occasionally so there's, there's some subtleties in this in this image that you see 
that you may not notice right off. You know, just things that are happening that are kind of clever. The mom is using her magnetic boots and she's stuck down there and the sun is kind of off in the distance and the father's trying not to float away. And then the, the dog is off at an awkward angle too. It's kind of funny because you see the dog there and you're, you're not sure how he's going to get back. Very clever the way they set it up, I thought. Originally, I guess the plan was to make the dog the focal point of it, where they were going to say, you know, where's my dog gone? Then they decided to revise it a little bit and make it that his shoe had floated away. It was a little less subtle. So I thought that was kind of clever the way they did that. Then you move on to the next room, and you're in this science lab where there's a woman scientist working, and she's growing crystals. And voiceover is giving you some history on the crystals. And again, you're learning something without realizing you're learning it about growing crystals in space and how, how important that is. You've got all these kind of pretty crystals that are growing and you're getting a sense of what's going on. Oh, now that's really lovely. Practical, too. Just think, materials through space for all kinds of industries back on Earth. And that's... Uh-oh. We gotta run. Time for our grandson's party? Uh-huh. We'll catch up to you later. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, the grandparents get a signal that they have to go attend their grandson's birthday party. So you move into this next room, and you're looking over the shoulders of the family that's sitting on the couch. So there's the mother, the father, and a child sitting on the couch, and it's the birthday. And what they've done is they put up three screens in front of you. So you're looking over the shoulders on the couch, and the people are all looking at these screens as well. And on the screens are holographic images of people. So what you've got when you look at the, uh, the holographs are you've got the grandmother and the grandfather in one, in one picture. You've got the uh, guy from the sea cab who was talking to the girl on the, on the screen on one, on one picture. And then you've got the, uh, the granddaughter, the redhead, who's on the third picture. And they've created these holographs of them. And I think it's kind of clever because it looks like holograms because they stick out of the, out of the wall. And you, to the naked eye, when you're looking at them, it looks very convincing. And I believe that this technology uses the same technology they use in the Haunted Mansion, where they use the Pepper's ghost effect, where really it's just they have the audio animatronics out of sight below you, and they're using a, a sheet of glass to reflect the image of those audio animatronics outside of where the, uh, where the frame is. So it looks for all the world like they're sticking out. And if they put it at the right angle and they bring you by it at the right angle, it looks like they're holograms, but they're really just audio animatronics that are kind of underneath you. But very convincing. I mean, it really looked like they were doing a hologram there. And for 1982, that was pretty remarkable. One little side note about this holographic images that you see there. It turns out that they used the Happy Birthday song that you heard in the background and uh, the rights holder to it uh, requested royalties from the Disney company because they were using the song in the attraction. The problem is that the song is in the public domain and there was a lot of, um, a lot of legal battles about that song and who owned the rights to it and what, what they actually said and how it could be used. And the way it kind of worked out in the, in the legal system is generally that anyone can use it to sing at a, like a private function, but once it's on public display like that, you have to pay royalties. So the Disney company wound up shelling out for the song to keep it in the attraction. Kind of funny how these little stories kind of find their way into the, into the, the whole nature of the, of the storyline, isn't it? One little thing just kind of works its way into the story just in a very simple way and uh, winds up uh, costing them royalty money over the, over the course of 17 years. Happy birthday to you. 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 Happy birthday to you.
so then you go along. It's time to finish up your uh, your trip through through space. So now you've you've come through and you've looked at future the future as as you viewed it throughout history. Then you moved on to Nova Cite, Then you moved on to Mesa Verde. Then you went to the Sea Castle. Then you went to Bravo Centauri. And so now you're you're finished with the storyline. So what they wanted to do was kind of bring it all together. And this is where we had that discussion last time about how they brought together all these pieces and how they kind of tied it back to GE, or didn't, as the case may be. So in the early days of the ride, there was nothing that really tied it back to GE. I mean, you had the GE logo a couple of places that was kind of cleverly buried, but you really didn't have anything that really told you it was GE. So the intent here was to kind of bring it back as an end part to something about GE, but they changed it along the way to decide to make your own ride in. What they do is they show you a couple of quick little screens of the different places that you can go, and the voice is telling you you have to pick the, the ending to your story, whether you want to go back and go through um, go through space, go through the desert, or go under the sea. You've got to select. And what, what I always found funny was when she says majority rules, there's three light-up panels in front, and so majority rules, but there's four people in the car. So who gets to <laughs> up to four people in the car? So who gets to pick? But I always, I used to have some fun with it. If I'd ride alone, I'd try and just push one or two and see what would happen. And if I was, uh, if I was riding with another person, we'd try and fight over the third one to see what would happen. And uh, it was always kind of fun. We'd pick, you know, I'd pick all three, one of each of the three to see what would happen. But it was, it was always kind of interesting. The results always surprised me just a little bit because something told me it was somewhat random in the way that it came up. Never really could prove it, but it seemed, certainly seemed that way to me. So you finish up and you select the ending to your own story. And as you selected it, what would happen is you, you move into this, this other part of the room. And here was another clever piece of technology that they put together. They say launch sequence initiated and you're going along and you're, you're in the airlock and all of a sudden this screen opens up in front of you. And the screen moves along with you as you're going through the ride and continues to give you a view static to you in your car as you're moving along so that you're seeing the image that you expect to see. So if you're if you picked under sea or you pick space or you pick the desert, you would see that ride going along and it would, it would move with you as you got to the end of the ride. And then at the end of the ride it closed up and you'd see the end part of the attraction. Pretty much all three of them were the same. It was just three different views. So what you, what you got was sort of a, a vehicle that would fly through the scape of that area. So it would just kind of fly around some of the different images there. They built these scale models and they, what they did is they, they put each one of these vehicles in the scale model to kind of go along and go through it went, you know, went through the undersea and it kind of went between the, uh, the undersea building parts and it kind of made its way along through some seagrass and different things like that. And the lights were on on your vehicle so you kind of would highlight some things. It was kind of clever. 
Same thing in space. You would fly through some space stations and go around them and different things like that. And then uh, in the desert, you would fly over the desert and fly across some of the things that you had there, some of the orange fields and some of the things like that where you would get to the point of actually getting to the end. So when you finally get to your end point, you, you dock up and it would say launch bay or landing bay open and you would fly in there and it would close the doors and that's when the, the screen would, would shut down and you would finally end that point of the ride. But it was a very clever piece of technology because the image was moving with you. You're, you're in a moving vehicle and the image is sticking with you and yet it, it's just so clever. I mean, it was just one of those things that I thought was really neat. And finally, one of the miniatures used in the filmmaking of, uh, filming of the final scene was 32 feet wide and 82 feet long. So miniatures, of course, is in quotes in that case. Then you get to the end game. So now you're at the, you have this, like, star field that they put up there. It's, it's twinkling lights is what they did. And this is where you hear the, the father say... Where do we dream up all the future things? And this is where they put the GE logo. So all the lights led up to the GE logo. That was the intent there. And then eventually, you would get to the end point. And at the end of the attraction, there was a nod to GE here as well. I believe it was the woman's voice who said something like, uh, thanks to all the hard work of General Electric, we bring good things to light, or something like that. And then he went on with his feel about, uh, you know, if we can dream it, we really can do it. But that was taken out at some point. It seemed like it was too much, I think. So they removed that from the ride. I think it was fairly early on. But it, it still lives on in my memory, anyway. back from the future. Oh, it went by so quickly. Yes, but one of the nice things about traveling into the future is that the journey is just beginning. That's right. And I'll tell you something. If we can dream it, we really can do it. And that's the most exciting part. From all of us, thanks for exploring Horizons. Now, so you get to the unload area, and you'd step off onto a moving platform, and you'd start walking out. These were lit up a little bit differently. They had some, some neat lighting effects that kind of lit up the walls in different colors. So as you'd walk out, you'd kind of get a sense of, I'm kind of coming back to reality, going back into the Epcot Center. And I'm walking back out, and I'm, I'm leaving this place. And I had some images to kind of remind you of what you had just seen, so you could be leaving and, and kind of remembering it. As you were leaving the attraction, there was a song that was playing, and it was an original score that brought out the nature of Horizons. So I want to make sure I played that here so you got a sense of what it was and what Horizons really meant. Thank you. 
then you go back outside and you go on to your next attraction, whatever it was. Or if you were me, you just hop back in the ride and go again. Because as I said, this is one of the more amazing attractions. Just the way they set it up and the things that they did, I thought were so clever. Just really, really neat, and I really enjoyed it. I just really thought it was very, very interesting because they were they were telling the story. And there's so many rides out there where you're just supposed to have fun. The thrill rides, you get on it, you ride around, you you ride on the roller coaster, and there's no real theming. It's just riding on a roller coaster. This particular attraction told the story, and it was a real interesting story. Now, granted, they probably couldn't have kept this up. It's kind of like Tomorrowland in some ways. How do you keep up the story of the vision of the future when the future is always evolving? So they kept it running for 17 years. In that time, technology evolved to a large degree. When you look at it, you realize, how would they have kept that going? How do they keep the momentum going on changing this without overly changing the attraction? I mean, you'd have to like tear out big chunks of the attraction and change it. I don't see how you could do that. And it's the same problem they face in Tomorrowland today. Now that now I think they're viewing Tomorrowland as Walt Disney's view of the future from the 1950s, which I guess makes sense, kind of changes the viewpoint, but it's, it's better than trying to keep up with the technology and doing things. Interesting thing about technology, when you look at the, uh, the last century, from 1900 to about, oh, 1950 or so, you had a lot of industrial things that happened, and you moved kind of slowly up to a certain point in 1950. Then from 1950 to 1980, you had a steady amount of growth, but it was greater than what you had in the early 50 years. Then from 1980 to about today, you really had growth that was just off the charts. It's been growing exponentially every year. So it's impossible to keep up with the technology and the technology growth because you have no idea what's going to be coming next. Although archaeologists have discovered that our ancestors' remains dating back 75,000 years, technology has truly only emerged to steer the future in the past few hundred years as scientists and inventors purposely sought to understand the world and improve our way of life. It is estimated that the supply of scientific information is currently growing at an approximate rate of 13% a year, yielding better resources for tomorrow's technologies. So when you think about how do you draw a ride, how do you make a ride like this, it really shows the future. The fact that they were able to do something that was 17 years in running and really didn't need much updating. Toward the end, it looked like it was a little weak. If you wrote it in the late 1990s, you kind of rolled your eyes back a little bit because it's just a tiny bit corny, but because we had evolved so much more over that period of time. But really, it, 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 it ran its course and it, and it had that, those certain elements to it that made it interesting and compelling. So I am sad that it's gone. I'm sorry that they took it away. I'm sorry that they took it down. It's one of those moments because I had lived a part of it. Having worked for General Electric and being able to go up into the Horizons Lounge and having ridden the attraction, my estimate is I, prob I probably rode it over a hundred times. And that's, that's a lot of rides on that attraction. So I got to know it fairly intimately. I got to know this ride inside and out. I really knew a lot about it. And it was kind of sad when they closed it. I'm kind of sorry I didn't ride it again toward the very end. The last uh, one or two times I was in the parks before they closed it, it happened to be closed, so I couldn't ride it. And I feel kind of sad about that because I missed out. But that's the amazing thing. If you go to YouTube or you go to some of the different sites out there, just Google Epcot Horizons, and you'll find pictures and videos and a large number of things that kind of capture what it was to a large degree. And you can really kind of relive it. But I thought the explanation might help understand more about it. You know, what is it really? What does it do for me? Thank you.
And that will wrap up our show for this week. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll have another podcast out here in about a week or so, so please check back and see how we're doing. If you have feedback or thoughts, feel free to email me at dave at bitchindave.com. Always happy to hear feedback. want to know what you think about the podcast. Mm-hmm.